You're listening to Red Nation Online. You're listening to the Paul James on Soccer Podcast. Commentary and analysis by Paul James, former Canadian soccer player, television analyst, coach, and member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Well, here we are with another episode of the Paul James on Soccer Podcast, and a busy summer in Canadian soccer is now in full swing. Let's start off by talking about Toronto FC, Paul. The big news in TFC land this past week was an ACL injury to veteran defender Adrian Can, who will now be out for the season. I think the loss of Can is a big blow to TFC, and let's start off the podcast by getting your thoughts on what the absence of Can means to Toronto FC. Yeah, there's no doubt uh, Steve Adrian Khan, I mean, he was the MVP in 2010. Uh, I would say that's a, yeah, a big blow, there's no doubt, and you feel for any player that uh, gets that kind of injury that uh, could well be for the, the, the season and beyond. So, um, you know, that's too bad for Adrian, I wish him well with the, the recovery. For the team itself, it's, it's a loss, it's a loss for, you know, I wouldn't say Adrian has been uh, tremendous this year, and, um, you know, ironically, uh, Aaron Vinter had dropped him for that one game, but, uh, you know, even so, it's a depth issue which clearly now at the back they, um, you know, they are struggling. And uh, one has to hope that Nana Atakura, who went down yesterday, is uh, going to be okay as well because that would be uh, even more disastrous for them. But um, it's a big loss. Uh, in either event, though, when we talk about the back, uh, even Adrian still, it's not his forte to build out of the back. And so um, even if he was fit and ready and healthy, uh, along with everybody else that plays in those positions, uh, they still need, in my opinion, a pedigreed centre-back that can begin to start to play the way that Aaron Vinter wants to. After an ugly 6-2 loss to Philadelphia the week before, Toronto FC rebounded slightly with a 0-0 draw at home against Sporting Kansas City on Saturday. After the match, Aaron Vinter and the players seemed to be relatively satisfied with a performance that I thought was very sloppy offensively and almost maddeningly dull. Um, Paul, what did you make of TFC's performance and, and Vinter's comments after the match? Yeah, I think that um, Dwayne Rawlings, to be honest, has written something, um, and I think a good description of TFC at this stage uh, of the season. He comments on the, uh, on the performance, which was, as you allude to there, and from my perspective, was dour. It was, um, it was difficult at times to watch. Uh, I think Aaron Vinter was uh, was doing a, the job that he has to do as a manager and coach. Let's not forget, you mentioned that 6-2 loss. You, you get pounded with six goals you concede, and then you follow, the following week you don't concede any. That's a positive, and he has to be positive at this stage because he's dealing with a fragile uh, group with terms of confidence. So from that perspective, it was... Uh, um, it was it was okay, and I think his comments uh, were fine. But uh, the reality is, you can't hide. You know, when you're playing at this level, it's on TV. The exposure is there. Uh, for me, it looked like everybody was. Uh, it must have been the pitch was heavy, but it looked like they were. Uh, you know, all slow and lethargic on both sides. It looked like this, the, the the game was slowed down. It was looks like they were playing at uh, a much slower pace with their movements, and so um, it was not a great game aesthetically, again, uh, for Toronto FC. And also Kansas City are at the bottom of the league. They are struggling themselves, and so it was always going to be a little bit of a fist fight 
that they were going to present. You know, we've been um, solid defensively, tough and rugged all over the field. And I think that made uh, for the contest I- itself. Overall, if you're looking at a heavyweight fight, I think probably on points, TFC would have won it. They had a couple of chances. Uh, Santos up front with that one great strike. Um, you know, you could say Stephen Fry was, again, TFC's best player because he made some saves himself. But it was more from him doing a, a good professional goalkeeping job. It wasn't uh, truly uh, game-breaking saves from him. But uh, overall, it was uh, just an okay performance. And, and the reason I mentioned uh, Dwayne Rollins' uh, article there is that I think, he's, I think he's spot on with saying that, um, you know, it really is an indication of what's to come. And, uh, and what's not to come. And I think that the playoffs are going to be a far reach for this uh, particular team this season at this stage. Moving on to the Vancouver Whitecaps, in a move that shocked and angered many people, the Whitecaps chose to fire head coach Teeter Thorderson and replace him with Tom Sohn last week. Like yourself, both Real Salt Lake head coach Jason Kreiss and former Canadian national team keeper and current soccer analyst Craig Forrest both slammed the decision and were pointed in their comments about the move. Now that you've had some time to digest the news, what are your thoughts on the firing of Teeter Thorderson? Yes, well, I think, first of all, I agree with, uh, with the statements of Craig Forrest and Jason uh, Christ. And uh, I know I wrote a quick, very brief uh, blog for you guys uh, on it about the political elements. I think there's a number of factors that go into it, and I think we need to start from last year in 2010. I was always uncomfortable with how Vancouver dealt with uh, Tater Thordson anyway, with offering one year a contract. It absolutely spoke volumes for where their position was. They, they, they had to have been in their offices indecisive about him. They didn't feel that he was going to be the coach for them. And so I think they made a poor decision amongst, as I've said a number of times, they've made many good decisions in what they have done. But this one is a, a poor one, and I think they've made it worse for themselves. Uh, by making this uh, particular decision. So, you know, they've come out and said, and, and I thought it was, it was way too ambitious, Vancouver, when they came out. I think, I don't know whether it was Bobby, um, you know, Paul Barber have turned around about their vision being to be one of the, the top teams or the top team in the world, uh, club-run organization. And, you know, first of all, that, that vision is exaggerated. And when you have an exaggerated uh, uh, vision that can't be achieved, it simply can't be achieved that in, in Vancouver. They might think so, but there's no way you're going to be able to compete with the top teams in the world. From a fan base, from the exposure, from the level that you're playing, your vision needs to be in line with the, the impediments that you have to get there, which is in the MLS, you have a salary cap, first of all. So, and, and, this, and why this is important is that when you have a vision that's realistic, so let's say for, for Toronto FC or for Vancouver Whitecaps or the Montreal Impact, if I was them over a 10-year period, I would want to be, you know, run that club like you're going to be the best in CONCACAF. That's, that's the holy grail for you, is to be in line with your vision to say that you want to be the top team in CONCACAF. And along with that means there's going to be MLS success. That's a, that's a really lofty goal as far as uh, a professional organization, soccer organization within Canada. But because it's you know, somewhat realistic, then the things that you do to get there become realistic themselves. But if you have a vision that's way out there, way in left field, you can be like they've been here, which is impatient. Because I, I, I think the only reason that you could have got rid of uh, Tater and be justified in getting rid of Tater this year is if the team hasn't won as many games as that they, that, that they want. And that's an, ex- 
exaggeration maybe because they've uh, uh, only won one game, but it's the half, it's the glass half full and half empty. You know, you can also look at it by the fact that they have lot, they've not lost that many games. They've been very competitive and they've played well and they've been exciting. And clearly, even to the layperson and particularly the educated eye, you just feel and know that Tater was on the right track and it's going to be a matter of time where they've had a little bit of luck because they had a lot of bad luck along the way, including that to fiasco in uh, Toronto uh, a couple of weeks ago, that they were going to turn around and they were going to get some wins just like Portland to uh, have. So I think it's a reaction that's been uh, impatient by Vancouver, but has also been plugged and also has been done because there's the political element, which I wrote briefly in the blog. Now, now Tommy Sohn is a friend of mine, and people criticize me, I suppose, for sticking up for people because they're friends. And this is not the case. This is not how I go about my business. I was very critical of Dale Mitchell uh, after the, the World Cup campaign, and Dale's also a friend. So now here's Tommy Sohn, a friend. Tommy lived with me uh, 12 years ago uh, when I was at the Hamilton Steelers in the, in the CSL. We are good friends. But in this instant, you know, and I think Tommy's a good character. I think he's a good coach. But I think the timing is wrong. And I think it's almost been seen. You have to look at it between the lines that there's something political there. With Tommy was director of, uh, of, of coaching for Vancouver. But I think he's been misplaced being, being put in that position now that I see it because clearly he wanted to still coach. And if you want to still coach, you cannot be in that position. It's unfair because if you're in that position and you're judging your coach because you still want to coach, then I think it puts undue pressure on the incumbent, which was Tater Thordeson. And that's where I think that it's, uh, that it's unfair. And, and so, therefore, from a, from a fan, from a pundit, I would be disappointed with, uh, with Tommy and Bob Lenarduzzi and Paul Barber and the decision that they've made there. And, it, and it's very clear. Tommy comes in and he immediately changes uh, automatically uh, the goalkeeper, Joe Cannon. So he has a, an opinion in, my, in my opinion, that is almost too strong, meaning that you know he knows better and he wanted to be in that position. And I think that that's where the decision looks murky to me and, and a little bit unfair. Now, at the same time, you know, uh, Tommy, I think, will be a good coach, is a good coach. He has a you know, really good background in the MLS. I think as the director of coaching, he's done a good job for Tater in terms of developing and bringing in the right players uh, and recruiting and scouting them because they definitely have some pedigree there. But um, always round, I would say, it's multi-layered, that decision. It's a poor one from Vancouver. But now they need to move on. And, and to finish off, who knows what was going uh, in the background within their club. We are still not privy to some things that might be going on that were justified in terms of them making uh, that decision. So uh, that's my thoughts on that, as strong as they are. Uh, given what you know of Tom Sohn, the coach, um, how do you think his approach will differ from that of Teeter Thorson, at least at a tactical standpoint? Well, based on what, uh, what I've seen, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, so I won't touch on it too much, but um, you know, I, I don't see a big difference at all. In fact, I see a bit of a, a decline. Now, they're on the road, um, you know, so, so we'll see. I mean, clearly he talks about um, possession-oriented nature of, uh, of the way that they want to play, but again, if, it's, if he's too strong on that, then he's going to get caught with his pants down like Aaron Vinter has in terms of the personnel, because you can only play the way, the system that you want to play if you have the right personnel. And at this very moment, I don't think Vancouver can overplay at the back because I don't quite see, even with the uh, players that he's put in place, um, 
you know, in, in the perfect way that Tommy wants, wants to do it. Clearly, there's some subtle movements with the Chiamento in, in, uh, coming in central and playing off the striker, so there seems to be a 1-1 instead of two players up front. So there's subtleties right now, um, and, and time will tell. But again, I think Tommy has put himself needlessly in a difficult position of being judged, uh, even though I suppose he's got the interim tag so he can quickly move back into the director of coaching situation. But, um, you know, we'll see. Following the coaching change, the Whitecaps played two matches this week. The first match under Sohn was a midweek fixture against Chivas USA, and well, he made some lineup and formation changes, as you've already mentioned. The end result was pretty much the same as, as has been the case for much of their first season in the MLS. A draw, a single goal scored, a comeback by the Whitecaps, and a red card to Eric Hasley. Uh, what did you make of the match against Chivas? Uh, interesting. I thought it was fragmented uh, at the beginning, and it, it was maybe to be um, to be expected from Vancouver. It looked a little bit uh, confused at the beginning, particularly when in possession. But I have to say this: they created some chances, and uh, and probably more clear-cut good chances uh, than than Shivers. Uh, so from that perspective, you know, it was okay. He made some, you know, plenty of changes, four changes. I am not sold on the, the Aquila. I believe his name is. Aquilard at the back that uh, he's put in, I think, uh, especially against Real Salt Lake, that again we'll talk about in a minute. But um, again, Tommy has his thoughts. He's now going to make changes. He's the head coach, and he'll live and die by them. But that one looks to be not an upgrade and an improvement. And so let's get to uh, the, the bottom. But, but I have to say this uh, before I forget, but they, they played 25 minutes, uh, 10 men, in a difficult environment, away from home, against a, a Chivas team that I think, uh, under Robin Fraser, very good and go high pressure. So the result is not a bad result. Is it? And, and so overall, uh, it wasn't a bad performance. It was, uh, they, they had clear-cut chances. But then Hasley gets, gets sent off. And that, to me, I mean, by now, as a coach of Hasley, I would be doing a few, uh, a few somersaults uh, as far as that goes. And, um, and, and that needs to be a big question mark. And we talked about it on the podcast probably a month ago, six weeks ago, and Dennis Hamlet comes out and says when he got sent off, I think for the second time, or it might have been the first or second time, that, you know, doesn't matter so much. He's got to play the way that, that he plays. And I disagree with that. Players aren't perfect. We talked about the dog collar. And if ever a dog collar needs to be on, it's on Eric Hasley. So that when he makes those movements, when in his brain tells him that he's going to go flying for something that he can't win, he has to stop. You have to stop that. And unless you have a tough approach on those crucial areas with players, they're going to continually do the same, do the same thing. It's why, you know, there's the old sort of um, adage or, or, or a, a storyline that you, you say about why do you repeat the same things over the time? A player asking a coach, why do you do the, the same things over and over again when you are on the training field? And if it's for set plays, for example, why do you do the same thing at set play on the training field over and over again? And it's because players have this uh, great ability to forget to forget their roles and to forget some of their weaknesses. And that's the same with Hasley. You need to pull him into the changing room and you need to, or, or your own coaching meeting room before a game and remind him of his weaknesses and he cannot be sent off. And if that is drummed into the player, game in, game out, sooner or later they're going to pick it up as a positive and they're not going to make those mistakes. That hasn't been done with Eric Hasley, clearly. And it's a massive loss because he was terrific uh, against Chivas. got no problem with him as a player. I think he's got, actually got a good attitude and a good approach. But that needs to be improved. Make no mistake about it. One other thing 
about um, uh, Taylor Thornton and Tommy Song, which uh, I forgot earlier, was the fact that they, if you're going to criticise uh, uh, Taylor Thornton, which I think was relevant, and John Molinaro actually from CBC pointed it out, I think it's spot on, is the fact that the flexibility and, uh, wasn't there and the rigidity of how we played as a system. On the upside, they looked together contained and they looked like they could high pressure. But the downside is that definitely has to be flexibility in modern day football world we have to move seamlessly almost into different formations at times when you're against opposition that's not quite as good i think tommy Stone will bring that uh, to vancouver right now the whitecaps followed up their draw against shivas with a two nothing loss to real salt lake on the road extending their winless streak to 13 games given how hard it is for teams to win at rio tinto stadium is there much that we can take from the Caps' loss to Real Salt Lake? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a poor performance, and it's a warning sign for, uh, for Tommy and why I think the question marks about this decision with, uh, with bringing in Tommy at this stage instead of uh, Tater. Because under Tater, Thornton, I, I can't remember a game. I can remember a game where they made poor mistakes at the back, individual defending skills down in, down in, um, in Houston. Uh, but I can't remember a game where they played like that uh, for him, where there was a lack of character, there was a lack of fight. And the way that uh, Taylor Thornton went about his business with that uh, rigidity, the upside of that is the fact that uh, they always looked like they were fighting. They always looked like they were trying to outwork their opposition, which uh, maybe is the transition that Tommy Sohn is going to, uh, you know, up and down the tempo every once in a while, conserve energy at the right times. But this uh, game against Real Salt Lake was, uh, was a poor performance. There were, there were players there. Again, the Aqualite at the back is uh, a misfit, in my opinion. He got beat uh, on the goal way too easily. And I think that needs to, uh, to be recognized. Tommy has come in with his new ideas on, on what he thinks of players, but he needs to read the writing on the wall and the script really quickly so he gets the right players in the right slots, which I believe uh, Tater Thordson did. Uh, after uh, after the first month and five weeks. So, you know, may- maybe it's the altitude at Real Salt Lake. I mean, and that is a big factor that they're on the road. But there definitely seemed to be uh, something off-center with that particular performance. And uh, so I hope now that Tommy can get that uh, get that right. And, and just to finish on that, just know that Tommy is a fantastic character and great uh, approach and attitude with things. So he will never, uh, he will never quit and uh, will never let his team down uh, as a coach or as a manager. So, so that works well for them, but, um, but I think it was a risky uh, uh, situation for him to take over the, the position at this time with three away games, three very tough away games uh, under the circumstances. So, um, you know, he's made it tough for, him, for himself, but as I said, he'll never quit. Moving to the international arena, the Canadian men's national team played a friendly against friendly last Wednesday against Ecuador, in preparation for the Gold Cup and came away with a 2-2 draw. Paul, what did you take from that match and how do you think Canada did? Uh, okay, one thing I have to say is the, uh, is the crowd and I, I know I've mentioned a few people from the outside this time so uh, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm doing this but, but I just loved it. I loved what Jerry Dobson said. He wrote a blog which was absolutely fantastic, blog of the year so far for me, when he talked about the crowd uh, and uh, and the fans and the lack of them, the lack of Canadian fans. He he absolutely uh, hammered away at all the reasons that we give and the excuses that we have. And I thought that was uh, that was tremendous. While also recognising the fans that did turn up uh, and the contribution of the supporters groups that we do have, 
which uh, as we saw with the players that scored the goals uh, Dunf- Dunfield in particular that uh, you know ran to the crowd I mean always round that was that was great acknowledgement of what an area that we definitely need to improve on people are talking about uh, team games shouldn't be played uh, in Toronto I totally disagree with that it's our biggest market it should be it's how we approach and get the fans out that's the issue not that it shouldn't be played there as far as the game itself I thought it was uh, I mean I, I enjoyed it I thought it was uh, exciting but I thought it was a game of two halves and clearly in the second half uh, you know you have a problem and it was it was noticeable I thought Stephen Hart's comments after the game were right with uh, with that they were opened themselves up and exposed themselves because here's, here's the reality and so you know the first half though I'll get back to that sorry for, for jumping here but the first half was good was quality there were some excellent performances as we saw a terrific goal from Terry Dunfield which is what you expect from your midfield player he's a box to box player he's going to be a real all of a sudden from almost nowhere he's going to be an asset for, uh, for the Canadian team but it was a great goal and it was a good all round performance but in the second half there was when you made the changes there, there then becomes where if you try to play and open yourself up because you're not balanced in the midfield if you open yourself up from, for, for that you know Canada is going to struggle and they have no chance of qualifying in my opinion and Stephen Hart knows that he addressed it or at least alluded to it he didn't maybe mention what uh, the changes were that, that made that uh, the case but uh, you know, if you open up like that, you're in um, you're in a bit of trouble. And for, from a tactical perspective, I would still um, do do something different if I was Stephen Hart. I mean, I would actually look to go to go high pressure. But uh, we might be able to talk about that in a minute. But that, that, those are my thoughts. All, always round. I thought it was an exciting performance. I uh, I, I really like some of the uh, players that Canada have there and what they're looking to do. And um, you know, there's some there's some hope on the rise on the horizon for that. But um, but somewhere along the line, there was um, you know Stephen Hart needs to get the tactics and system of play absolutely perfected in order for Canada to do well. Simeon Jackson and Atiba Hutchinson both look quite good to me, but I came away from the match very impressed with Josh Simpson. When I think about how much he's improved as a player over the last several years, it's remarkable to look at how good he's actually become. What did you think of Josh Simpson against Ecuador? Well, I thought it was funny, and I'm not sure if it's on your um, website or, or another interview, but I thought it was funny when Josh Simpson said after the game, when somebody asked him how do you think his performance was, and he sort of said, uh, I don't know what, I couldn't see his tongue in his cheek, so I didn't know what, how to take it really, but it was, it was a funny remark. He said, yeah, it was okay, you know, but I need to do better. I mean, fantastic, fantastic comments, because in my opinion, um, it, it was an it was exaggerated on the, from, from, uh, from not being correct. Uh, in, the, in the realities for me, it was fantastic performance, particularly the first half. Josh Simpson was uh, absolutely outstanding. It was great to see you know, a Canadian player thread his way through three or four players and, and set up things. You know, he's, uh, he's developed himself nicely, as you should, really. He has the right attitude, the right mentality, great athleticism and pace. And then uh, much more than the minimum standard of technical ability now at this level, even. So um, you know, I think he's he's uh, he's developed, you know, really really well. And I remember the goal he scored uh, in the World Youth Championships uh, for Dale Mitchell, which was a cracker. And when you think back now, it's an early sign there. That was the early sign that Josh Simpson is going to be if he kept his feet on the ground, which he obviously has, 
is going to be uh, a terrific player for our World Cup team. And he now has that opportunity, and that was a great performance against uh, Ecuador. As you've already mentioned, Stephen Hart indicated after the match that he was not overly impressed with the team's performance in his comments in the press conference after. Um, is it a good sign that Canada was able to grind out a result even when they weren't in their top form for the whole 90 minutes? Yeah, well, I would say, and I think it was exciting that they scored at the end, but whichever way you look at it, that was fortuitous. I mean, it was a good play by uh, by Ricketts to score it. It was a good play by Julian to spot him, but really it was a fortuitous situation that you can't rely on, that that's going to happen all the time. I thought Stephen Hart needed to be more direct about uh, why he was disappointed. He, he sort of alluded to the fact that it was a, an, an open game in the second half, and it was because of the changes that he, he had made. Of that, there's no doubt. And so there was a little bit of uh, good fortune. Having said that, Canada missed a couple of great chances. I think Will Johnson first half and Dwayne second. But uh, for me, with Canada, you know, they they um, they struggle when he gets when Stephen drops off and they they're in half pressure or three quarters pressure, which is uh, with the tactics four three three or four five one, whatever we want to talk about. The problem is when they do that and they're against you know, really good opposition, which they are in these games, is that they still have trouble getting numbers forward if they don't. Uh, if they keep themselves balanced, you know, in the transition phase, if they don't keep themselves balanced, then that's what happens, like, uh, in the second half against Ecuador. But in order to be able to do that in a balanced way, to get the amount of players forward is very difficult. And also, when you play Latin American teams, which they have to play when uh, we're in CONCACAF, when you play the teams in CONCACAF, they enjoy teams that drop off in that way. So, you know, for me, I wished that... Um, Stephen Hart would actually high pressure a little bit like Barcelona. Funny enough, you know, people talk about Barcelona being a great uh, attacking team, but they also defend by high pressure. They absolutely try and choke the opposition from uh, the get-go, and they're so fit they can do it all. They have everything right, uh, Barcelona. Now, for Canada, in my opinion, going high pressure for them would be incredibly taxing because of the uh, the climates, would be the demands on fitness. But they have pace up front. If they went high pressure, the opposition in CONCACAF don't want that. They don't like it. So you, you catch them off guard because most of the teams don't do that. But the uh, other side of it, if you win the ball back, you have you already automatically have numbers forward. And it would be our, our best chance, in my opinion, of creating more chances and clear-cut chances, particularly with the pace up front. I mean, I love that three up front, to be fair, as much as I've talked about Dwayne De Rosario before. But with Dwayne De Rosario and uh, Josh Simpson, um, you know, up there, and uh, Simeon Jackson, sorry, I was hunting for that name, uh, you have pace. And that is threatening, but we're never really in that position if we drop off all the time. And when they, they win the ball back, you're, you're too far away from goal to really have a sustained impact throughout the 90 minutes. So, you know, that, that's a long way of saying that, um, that uh, you know, personally I would like them to, to, to go high pressure. The problem is if they were to do that way, and probably Stephen knows this, and he would have to make personnel changes at the back, that you can't be slow at the back. You have to have somebody of electric pace because when you go high pressure, your back four push up. And I think along the way that would uh, you know, cause, I suppose, some problems along the way. Looking ahead to the Gold Cup and having seen the rosters for all of the teams in the competition, how do you think Canada matches up against the United States, who will be their first opponent? Uh, I think it's going to be a tough game, there's no doubt. I think Stephen Hart absolutely has to have, like you do in all international games, but he has to have his tactics right. 
uh, not just the system, but I mean the tactics, like I just said, about going high pressure three quarters or really drop off and then have the right players out there. I mean, if he gets the wrong players out there now and he's much more educated on that by, um, by the performance against Ecuador, he's more informed. So he has to get the right players in the right slot. Because, you know, the United States, I watched the game against Spain yesterday and they took a mauling. So their pride is hurt. Bob Bradley's pride is hurt there for sure. And they really, they lost 4-0, but for me it could have been 6 or 7 against uh, even a team, Spain. They had their best players, to be fair to them. But uh, they were still not full down uh, on the pedal with uh, their tempo. I mean, they could have upped it at any stage. They didn't, and they still broke uh, the States down. The States has, based on what I saw yesterday with the Robbie Rogers, I believe that will be the last game for Robbie Rogers. Maybe he plays a few minutes in the uh, Gold Cup. I would uh, very much doubt it. But I don't see him getting called back in. And a number of other players as well. So he has sort of a weakened squad, in my opinion, because he's experimenting, Bob Bradley. So there's a chance. But if the States, which they will do, they will play their best team uh, on Tuesday night against, uh, against Canada with the Donovans and uh, uh, the Clint Dempseys and so forth, and, and the Bradley in the midfield. You know, they're, they're in tough for sure, Canada. But if, uh, if the, they get the tactics right, the right uh, players in the right slots, we will be competitive. It is a great benchmark for, for what is to come. If you get it wrong and you have one or two players that shouldn't be there or are not motivated or have a poor game, you can always, when you go into international football, be on the end of a hiding. And a hiding in international football would be 3 or 4 nil, as uh, the States found out against Spain. So, you know, that's the delicate balance that Stephen has there. I think, um, you know, you have a chance. We always have a chance now. You've got some good enough players. By the way, we should say Atiba Hutchinson was, uh, was terrific as well. Uh, you, you know, here's the one thing I haven't talked about, Steve, and, I, and, I, and, and again about the, uh, about the goal and the set play that was scored. Uh, Canada conceded that goal, the first goal set play. That's absolutely a no-no, and it's, it's unacceptable for that to happen at international football, to concede from a corner kick like that. It showed there was a lack of preparation. It showed about the zonal way of playing at corner kicks. For Canada, at least, based on that goal, it's not going to work. You have to go man-to-man, and you can't be worried about having your head uh, knocked, uh, knocked off or having stitches in your head by being brave and attacking the ball. No player attacked the ball. Nobody watched their, their man and, played, uh, and uh, played the man. They all just stood still. That is totally unacceptable. If that happens in World Cup qualifying, you know, that's a firing issue for, for a coach. So Stephen needs to get that right, you know, really, truly. You need to get all those things right. If you don't, that's what happens in international football. If this tournament is a competitive tournament. And so um, hopefully, I believe that will be uh, corrected. And then, um, you know, fingers crossed they can uh, put in a great performance like they did uh, four years ago against the States. We received several good questions from Paul James on soccer and listeners over the last week. So let's end this episode as we usually do by getting you to respond to your listeners. Rebby writes, Paul, Stephen Hart was asked at a press conference yesterday if he was settled on a starting keeper for the Gold Cup and World Cup qualifiers. With Milan Borian and Lars Hirschfeld, Canada looks stronger than it has in some time in net. Who do you think should get the start against the U.S. and at the Gold Cup? Yeah, Rebby, that's a, a great uh, question. Uh, I'd probably go with Lars Hirschfeld as the, uh, he's the most experienced in what is an absolute uh, you know, crucial game and a pressure-filled game. It would be a packed house, exciting atmosphere. So probably would go with Lars Hirschfeld. He's been there before and would uh, have that. But in the long term, Milan looks good. And clearly he's got the physical presence. 
and a great attitude. I thought he did decent the other day. And so, um, you know, all of a sudden, it was a big question mark, uh, the goalkeeping positions. Uh, you know, it still will be, I suppose. It's such a crucial uh, area. But at least now you have uh, two goalkeepers that, uh, you know, have some youthfulness uh, with Milan and, you, and size and physical presence. And then with Lars, you've got some, uh, some experience you know, of Europe and at the international level. So I wouldn't say we're in great shape in goal, but I would say we're, we're better than what we were looking to, to be a couple of years ago. And, uh, and so not bad. It's not bad. Uh, I would say he will go with Lars, but, uh, but you never know. It would, uh, I don't think it will harm us too much either way based on what I saw the other day against Ecuador. Daniel Sanderson sent in, Hi, Paul. I'm enjoying your an analysis of the games that you're breaking down. I've just finished reading Dominic Sikora's article on Tony Chani, which broke down how he could be best employed by Aaron Vinter. Based on your coaching experience, can you provide us your thoughts or specific insight on him? Do you see him becoming a valid contributor to Toronto FC? Yeah, I thought it was uh, Dominic. I wrote, uh, sorry, I read Dominic's um, article. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was good. It was incredibly in depth and given a number of options. Uh, I watched uh, specifically Tony uh, Chani yesterday. Um, and again, I think the I think the assessment that Dominic did was very good. You know, he's uh, he's he's calm, he's composed on the ball, and uh, I think he I must have seen he did about three nutmegs yesterday, which is uh, not the be and end all about being a uh, about being a good player, but uh, clearly it shows he's got that little bit of uh, technical edge and a little bit of savvy. He looks composed. The problem is for for me is that he gave the ball away, uh, showing a technical deficiency. It was a technical issue, not tactical that he couldn't quite get it there. He read the pass, but he couldn't get it there, so there's a technical deficiency. And the tempo that he played at needed to be quicker. You know, it's that fine line between uh, being composed and being having a slow tempo, and then, you know, sort of uh, up in it at the right times. So there's also the personnel that's playing around him that, um, you know, were a little bit awkward at times, I think. But I'm not so sure that I would have him as, uh, as an attacking midfield player. I think he's... Uh, I think he used uh, Torre from Manchester City. Yeah, yeah Torre is uh, a comparison uh, Dominic did, and, and I would say it's it's a you know a good one. But uh, also Patrick Vieira would be a good uh, uh, in the future. Again, it's exaggerated for the level that uh, he's playing now. But I would more see him as being a defensive type midfield player um, that would be more his uh, his his range and his goal, just based on the fact of how he he plays a little bit slower. You know than um, than the fast tempo of getting forward, and I don't really see the uh, cutting cutting edge to his passing ability. So, um, but it's a good question, and uh, time will tell. I think he's a useful player, he's a useful um, athlete, and I think he's done quite well with uh, Toronto FC, and I'm sure he's in the plans of Aaron Vinter for the future. Lars wrote in after last night's match with Ecuador. It became very clear that there was a serious drop off in quality of play um, of Canada in the second half. To me, this had to do with a single substitution, that of Terry Dunfield for Julian de Guzman. Canada's game completely changed and went from a strong side to a weak side at the snap of a finger. While I respect Julian's talents, it's clear that his head isn't in the game. Most notably, the effort he didn't put in on the second goal against Canada was clear to a lot of people. With this in mind, who does Canada have that is the right type of character with the talent required that can be included in future rosters in place of Julian? Well, I think that, uh, y you know, it, it, I mean, that particular question looks like it's, um, it's totally given up on Julian. And, um, 
I think time's running out on Julian, that's for sure. No matter what, he has a lot of supporters out there that still find a way of giving him, uh, you know, the, the um, credit, which I think is a little bit too much. But at the same time, you know, uh, he's been um, a loyal servant to Canada, and we can't completely write, write him off. But there are huge question marks that other people need to solve. I've said enough on, on the Julian de Guzman issue, and I don't want it to be anything but a, a witch hunt. You know, I mean, Julian played for me 10 years ago, de decade ago, and there's no doubt about it. Without Julian de Guzman, we would not have qualified for the World Championships. Bottom line, we won 1-0, 1-0, and tied 0-0, and the two games we won 1-0, Julian scored both goals. That's a decade ago, and so the potential for Julian as a youth team player looked to be, to be terrific, you know, I mean, um, I, how I've dealt with Julian, how uh, uh, he was for me as a player in, in all facets is, is not for this moment, but, you know, he has been loyal to his country, he's done a good job in, uh, um, over the years in some aspects, but clearly now there's something amiss, and it's absolutely right with that question that uh, Terry Dunfield, uh, for whatever reason, has found, has hit the road running coming back to Canada and is able to contribute for Vancouver in such a way as a leader, as a performer. And the other day I thought he was terrific. And when you put Julian, it was a massive gap, like a massive gap. The fact that he set up the goal is great because we tied the game, but it doesn't trump the fact that uh, it was a massive hole once, uh, once he came on and Terry was out. I, I don't have the answer of why that is, is the case. I would say, though, you cannot give in on Julian uh, just at this stage, but the time is for sure running out at both club and country level, and, and I'm, I'm not around him on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't know what's going on, but um, it could well be, in terms of my assessment, um, the fact that uh, he's proven that he's not going to be quite good enough now at this, this uh, level and at his age and at lack of pace for whatever reason. As far as players, uh, the Ricketts in midfield look, uh, came in and, uh, and, and did a, a decent job. The, the type like Russell Tebert uh, are the players that, uh, for the future that need to be groomed, and I would say earlier rather than later, as young as he is, even at the, uh, the full team level. Again, you know, Stephen Hart had a chance uh, a while ago, and I even wrote a column on it in The Globe about Teal Bunbury, because I questioned, I had a feeling, I could just feel it, that he was going to turn his back on Canada if, we didn't, uh, if he didn't get uh, picked up you know, right away at the World Cup level. So, you know, I think it's, 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 you might as well groom players with that right character, with the potential of uh, the, the Josh Simpsons at an early age, which Russell, Russell uh, Tebert uh, does. Not that he's going to be an impact for the next uh, World Cup uh, qualifying um, um, campaign. And, you know, you've also got those players in there, the Will Johnsons, the Atibas, the, the, uh, the Terry Dunfields, as we said. That is much more the dynamic, in my opinion, um, right now than what Julian is beginning to offer at the, at the World Cup level. And you have to read that. You have to be able to read it because if you become sentimental or you begin to play a political game, whether it's in the media, whether it's, you know, you're feeling sorry for somebody, this is not a time for being sentimental. You have to read facts. This is the world of football, as we saw in Vancouver, can be brutal at times. It can be brutal with criticism. It can be brutal with the fact that I remember Pat Onstad 
telling me, you know, he made that mistake. You know, Pat was a great servant for, for, our, for our game. He doesn't need to justify anything to anybody. He made a, an unfortunate little error that cost his goal against Jamaica. And then he talks about, he goes into a restaurant with his family and some of the supporters. When he's eating food, he's eating his meal and supporters are going up and having a go at him because he made that mistake. And that's a guy that's been a great servant for our country. You know, the bottom line, that's the brutalness of the game at times and so we cannot be sentimental Stephen Hart cannot be sentimental he needs to read the writing when he sees players and see how they perform if you make tough decisions you do the right things then at the very least if you don't qualify for the World Cup but you clearly haven't got uh, exposed and you've clearly given everything you have in terms of passion you're in business people will support that and certainly I would as a, as a pundit and it's where we move forward as a soccer nation you know it's a great question um, but at the same time, you know, there needs to be a, a similar to the Pat Onstad thing. I think that, um, you know, we need to give uh, players every chance that you can. And, and just my hope is that uh, Julian can find his form and, and get through it. If you have questions that you'd like Paul to address, please send your email to pauljames at rednationonline.ca.